I've been thinking a lot about Halloween. Uh, Do you have a favorite uh, Halloween costume when you were a kid? Uh, I I think it was whatever would get me candy with the least amount of effort. That was, uh, I went as that basically every year. (laughs) I was, um, I was a Mexican cowboy, like half of the times now that, uh, <laughs> were you just a cowboy who happened to be mexican <laughs> well, or... I mean, well I'm, I'm half mexican so i'm automatically a mexican cowboy but no I, well i guess i was more of the man with no name i had a poncho okay. and uh and a hat and you know you could have gun toy so guns you were just a cowboy that appropriated mexican culture <laughs> is what you're saying to me I'd carry around some sopapillas and some chimichangas, and um, I would say trick or treat, and then I would say gracias because I was a polite cow- Mexican cowboy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's start the show here. It's time, time for a thrilling story of romance, adventure. Mystery. Anything with an expired copyright. It's time for another interrupted tale. Well, hello and welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Interrupted Tales, the podcast where my friend Alan and I take turns reading stories to you, the listener, while the other person constantly interrupts. Um, as always, I am Rob, and this is Alan. Hey, Rob, what, uh, what story do we have this week? Well, it's a, um, it's, uh, it's a suspenseful tale of horse racing in a long time ago, <laughs> and it's <laughs> called, uh, it's another story from Argosy All Story Weekly from October 21st, 1922, and it's called The Great and the Small by Earl C. McCain. Sounds good. A casual visitor, arriving in Salt Lake City on the morning of June 10th, and unacquainted with the anniversary endurance race, would have been amazed at the scene in front of Utah's great Capitol building. Across the wide street before the state house were lined up 26 horses and riders, awaiting the signal that would start them on the 600-mile run to Cheyenne. That signal? Save a horse, ride a cowboy. (laughs) Words to live by. The race was to be the longest and greatest endurance contest ever held, and never had the West, in fact, the entire country, shown such interest. It marked the anniversary of the discovery of the Great Salt Lake by Captain Ridger, and so far as possible, the horses would follow the same route taken by the valiant explorer as he returned to the east. Watch out, boys. These horses are swimming to China. <laughs> I like how um, it's the same route as he took when he went back home. <laughs> that's that's a <laughs> thrilling race right there. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I took the 12 train and uh, got <laughs> off on the far platform. There were reasons for the unusual interest as well as for the great number of entries in the race. The true Westerner has two great loves peculiar to the section in which he lives. First, for the history of the country, with its dangers and hardships. And secondly, 
a natural love for the horse, the creature that, next to man, was responsible for the winning of the West. Well, you know, it's about time someone put the blame on horses for their role in the mass genocide of westward expansion. <laughs> mass genocide, I say thee nay. Um, <clears throat> I'll uh, delete that. Another reason was the large uh, prize offered. When the race had first been proposed, the two cities at the ends of the route had each agreed to pay, agreed to pay $25,000 to form a purse. 25000 for a purse, and Louis Vuitton was born. But at that time, the idea was in its infancy. Since then, additional prizes by racing associations, newspapers, and cities along the route had been added to the original purse until it totaled more than it had ever been offered on any single race. While the horses, with more or less shifting about, stood ready to start. The governor of Utah passed from one to another, handing to each rider a small envelope. Okay, now this is getting dangerously <laughs> close to the plot of Fox's Drive, starring Nathan Fillion and Emma Stone. Oh, that's going to mean a lot. Uh, don't don't ruin our com- upcoming uh, uh, drive cast where we uh, go <laughs> well, minute I, by minute we're, through we're the doing, uh, pilot. We're doing that, that panel at DriveCon this year, Rob. I think people want to know about it. So Emma Stone was actually in that? All right. Yeah, yeah, she was. <laughs> um, <laughs> in addition to the state seal, each envelope bore the same address. To the governor of the state of Wyoming. To the rider who, in front of the capital of Cheyenne, should first deliver the envelope entrusted to his care, would go the greatest honor that both states had ever bestowed upon a horseman. Bestowed upon a horseman. Do you think that includes medals given to centaurs? <laughs> centaurs don't get medals. They're like Chewbacca at the end of Star Wars. They're, they're, they don't really count. Oh, that's sad for Chewbacca. <laughs> I never thought of that. Yeah, yeah, think of mm-hmm. it. Uh, to the governor, as well as the thousands who lined the streets to see the start of the historic event, the vast difference in the appearance of those 26 horses must have been the outstanding feature. At the right of the line, a sorrel thoroughbred, with a turf record envied by many racing stables, stood nose to nose with a slim-necked Arabian mare from Lower California. You know, I wish they could all be California mares. <laughs> But it, but it was to the left. To, but it was to the left that most eyes were directed. At the end of the line, the governor paused to look admir, admiringly. I, I sorry, the uh, California mayor has still got me. I just want to go skilly dilly da bit about. Um, <clears throat> at the end of the line, the governor paused to look admiringly at a great glistening black stallion that stood a full hand higher than any animal in the row. The horse's eyes, big in proportion to his magnificent head and powerful body, were bright and fearless. Ooh, I didn't know Brony slash fiction existed back in the 1910s, but I'm I'm glad we're getting a sampling. <laughs> Yet of all the horses in that line, he stood the quietest, quietest. And the eyes of John Dillon, his owner and rider, smiling down at the governor as he received the envelope, hinted of the same underlying courage and strength. The horse was Sagamore, who, a few months before, had come out of the West unheralded, except for the fact that he was a full brother to Prince Royal, the season's turf sensation. The two horses had met on the track for the first time in the Kentucky Derby, 
and they were both wearing the same big hat. Can you believe oh, it? So embarrassing. Oh. Sagamore had lost that race, but only because his rider, the same man who rode him now, had sacrificed the honor of winning for the great honor of saving a jockey's life after his horse had overcome a two-length lead and fought his way to a neck-and-neck finish. I feel like there's more story there. He saved someone's life instead of winning the... No, nope. That's just regular (laughs) horse racing. Maybe you haven't been to the OTB lately, Rob, but it's pretty much par for the course. It's half racing and half uh, saving your fellow man from being crushed by trampled by horses. Sagamore was Kentucky bred, sired by the great royal monarch, but while still a suckling cult, had been shipped with his mother to the Dillon Ranch in Colorado. There, in the foothills of the Rockies, and with the freedom of a wild Mustang, the colt had developed into a magnificent horse. Combining the whirlwind speed of his illustrious sire with the marvelous power and endurance that came from his life on the open range. Yes, his owners, Jonathan and Martha Kent, taught him to use his horse powers wisely. In stature, the horse was a giant. Yet his size was not the kind to interfere with speed. His chest was wide and deep, but the muscles rippled like rubber bands beneath his satin skin. (laughs) And he had the long, graceful lines of the thoroughbred runner. Okay, I, I think this horse is going to turn out to be very rich and ask us to sign some kind of binding contract. And I do mean binding. <laughs> the contrast in size was especially noticeable because of the horse that stood at his left, almost in the shadow of the huge stallion. The little horse was typical of the western range, of the color known as Strawberry Roan, and his shoulder bore the seared mark of a branding iron. Ooh, a bad boy. <laughs> any cowpuncher would have termed him an ordinary bronc. Yeah, any Yet, any cowpuncher, Rob. Come on. Any, pick a cowpuncher and he's going to call it an ordinary bronc. Yet any man who knew horses would have recognized certain points about him that meant he had the staying power. Between the riders, there was little difference in appearance. Uh, and they definitely weren't as sexy as their horses, so let's not talk about them. <laughs> their rippling satin skin. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, both were small and wiry, and both had the tough, enduring strength that comes from life in the open. The very manner in which they sat in their saddles was proof that they were trained riders. And about the eyes of each were numerous fine wrinkles caused by looking over open country. Wrinkles? Scorching sun. No, no, no. Those are open country laugh lines. Laramie Jones, world's champion relay rider, rode the little roan, and he smiled good-naturedly as he addressed Dylan. If size counted for anything in a horse race, I'm guessing the governor would feel like ruling me and Patsy out. Dylan answered the smile first. He was a quiet man with a friendliness about him for any man who met him halfway. I take that to mean you don't figure the size of a horse cuts any ice. Not in this kind of race. Jones said decisively. Gameness ought to win this race, and I guess that's Patsy's long suit. He looks like a pretty good little cayuse, Dylan replied, studying the little horse. But you know what they say about a good man, big man being better than a good little one. Hey, hey, whatever happened to the motion of the ocean? (laughs) Don't apply to running, Jones countered. 
Besides, I've seen some little men with sand enough to offset any weight handicap. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Jones had rolled a cigarette, and he leaned farther toward the big horse to shield himself from sight while he caught a few whiffs. A moment later, the governor stepped back into the street, and all the riders straightened on their saddles. The official starter stretched a starting rubber from a steel trolley pole across the street <laughs> in front of the horses as the governor held up his hand for silence. I think a starting rubber is probably flavored or glow in the dark. You know, something to break the ice. <laughs> it's uh, I, it's that crusty one that forms a ring in your wallet. Um, uh. I suppose all you men, I suppose all of you men are familiar with the conditions of the contest. He began. So I shall only make a final appeal for fair pre- play. While you are permitted to ride any way you like. Oh, yeah. Side saddle, low rider, even ghost riding that whip. <laughs> and as far as you like every day. Remember that it is your horse, after all, that must win the race. Whether you are able to conserve your mouth's strength and not kill one of God's noblest animals Whoa. in your efforts to win will depend upon your judgment as a man. And your sense of fair sportsmanship. This totally went from cannonball run to, like, they shoot horses, don't they? Without without <laughs> the dancing. dance contest. No, just just the title. Uh, I want the horses to dance. Nope, they, they don't dance. <laughs> With that understanding, may the best horse and rider win. A deafening cheer sounded as the governor concluded his brief address and walked to the curb. Then, after a glance at his watch, he signaled the starter, and the rubber snapped across the street. What? Sounds like time for plan B. (laughs) Most of the horses had felt the tension while standing in the street, and leaped forward at the start. Sagamore, while standing quietly before, knew that the swish of the rubber meant a race, and his great body shot forward at the signal. But a word from Dylan instantly checked him. Before he instantly wrecked him. From the Capitol building, State Street extends mile after mile toward the east, and Dylan knew full well what that long stretch of hot pavement would do to a horse's hooves. Oh, terrible bunions, I guess. I don't really know horses. Ingrown hooves? I'm not familiar. Is that a thing? It's a horse. I don't know. He slowed Sagamore to an easy gallop, and as the horse settled to a steady gait, noticed that the majority of the riders had done the same. Not all of them did, however. At the start, the sorrel racer and the Arabian mare had started side by side, and now, perhaps because each rider was too stubborn to yield first place to the other, were making a race of it down the street. Dylan was wondering at the foolishness of this when the little roan horse slipped up beside him. Hey, you guys racing? I'm racing. Feel like it's a pretty good start. What do you think? My tail's all ready. I'm just ready to get some good time, guys. We're going to have fun. Yeah, I love to go galloping. (laughs) It's a fine way to start the horses. And the governor watching after making that talk, Jones remarked. I suppose it's partly the fault of the horses, Dylan replied. Both of them are thoroughbreds and pretty high strung. Doped up on the LASIK. Why, they're animals. Total animals. I think that neither one has any business in a race of this kind. You're riding a thoroughbred yourself, ain't you? Yes, but my horse is trained to mind. I believe that's the most important thing in training a horse, and I've been mighty careful of him. 
There's never been another man on his back. Jealous. <laughs> Why? Isn't he safe? Dylan's quiet smile might have answered that. Still, he added, he's as gentle as a collie dog. But it's one of my pet theories that you could do more with a horse that knows only one master. Somehow, you seem to reach a better understanding of one another, and that means a lot more than pulling the bridle reins. Well, it's like your groin and his back merge together and think as one. Like a centaur. You got you're it. Sh- you're Give sure that man right. a medal. <laughs> you're sure right about that, Jones agreed. And after that, they lapsed into silence as they galloped toward the city outskirts. The highway extends almost due east from Salt Lake City to the foothills of the Wasatch Mountains, a distance of perhaps 20 miles. Then it begins a wide, sweeping, gentle swing to the left in order to pass through Immigrant Gap, the first break in the mighty barrier that stands like a protecting wall to the wonderful farming country around the shores of the Great Salt Lake. See, that's why we need a border wall to keep horses out of Utah. (laughs) Until the road swings to the northeast, the elevation is slight, so Dylan allowed the big horse to hold a steady gait. Jones rode at his side with the ease of a man long accustomed to the saddle, rolling numerous cigarettes. Occasionally they carried on bits of conversation, though both had settled to the grind of hard, all-day riding. (laughs) Still sitting on your ass? Yup, me too. (laughs) The majority of the other riders had started out at a moderate speed, but the longer stride of the stallion caused him to gradually draw away from most of these. When they reached the first turn and Sagamore eased up at the beginning of the ascent, there were only five other riders in sight. But one of these was Laramie Jones, and Dylan, noticing that the little cow pony was apparently as fresh as Sagamore, felt a growing admiration for the shaggy little beast. Well, it's, it's not a snuffleupagus, is it? Is he talking about the rider or the horse? <laughs> hmm. The race had started at 7 o'clock, and noon found Dylan and Jones well up toward the gap. The grade had become steeper and steeper, however, so both horses had slowed to an ordinary walk. The conditions of the race required that each rider must care for his own mount, and could eat or drink only when conditions permitted his horse to do so. (laughs) Well, I guess we're going to have to find an olive garden that allows horses, then. Well, I consider them family. Um... Accordingly, when they stopped at a ranch house for lunch, the horses were allowed to drink sparingly from the watering trough, and then led to the stable and fed. Thirty minutes had been decided upon as sufficient time to rest the horses. Jeez, that chapter of the horse union really needs to renegotiate its mandated break clause. And at the end of that time, Sagamore and Patsy were back on the road. A few miles from the ranch, they overhauled the sorrel runner that had made such a brilliant start limping painfully from a sprained tendon in the foreleg. It was understood that no rider could expect any great amount of help from another, but both Jones and Dylan dismounted to examine the horse's leg. It was clear that the animal could not go on, and accepting the advice and the spirit in which it was given, the sorrel's rider turned back toward the ranch house. To start an exciting career in the glue business. (laughs) With each succeeding mile, The road climbed higher and higher, riding in and out along those sides of the mountains, yet always upward. Ahead of the riders was the greatest cleft, was the great cleft known as Immigrant Gap, 
since the first Mormon wagon trains had found that opening for their ox teams. Now, why would you shop at Immigrant Gap when the prices at Immigrant Old Navy are so much lower and it's the exact same clothes? (laughs) The two horses forged steadily toward it. It was late afternoon when they reached the top of the range and passed between the tower and cliffs that stand at either side of the gap. For a mile or more, the road twisted back and forth over the crest of the divide, then emerged on the eastern side of the mountains and began the steep descent toward Sound City. I ain't gonna play Sound City. (laughs) Needs more sacks. Travel down a steep grade is as difficult for a horse as hard climbing, so both riders held back their animals. On this kind of going, the little horse had a distinct advantage over Sagamore, yet the big stallion easily kept his footing. According to their guidebooks, the distance from Salt Lake City was slightly more than 50 miles, yet the setting sun was tinting the deeper canyons with purple shadows when two tired horses, a great black and a small roan, plodded into cla- into Sound City. <laughs> really, is it? Is it is are they They're both right allowed? To... Are they both? I sorry, sorry. Keep going. It's the, it's the best nope. in five hundred. Nope. They're going right, right into Cloud City. Okay, Cloud City, sure. <laughs> sound, Sound City. Okay. Wyoming is one state in which the garage has not entirely replaced the livery stable, and Dylan and Jones first gave their attention to finding suitable quarters for their horses. A two-story frame bore the sign "Hotel." And an inquiry here brought the information that a stable two blocks away had made special arrangements to care for the horses taking part in the race. Well, special arrangements. Uh, Ah, yes, sir. Your horses are booked in the Bellerophon suite with full access to our complimentary oats bar. Now, would they care for our turn-down blanket service? (laughs) Um, Let's see. On uh, pay-per-view tonight, we've got uh, Seabiscuit. Mm-hmm. Racing stripes. Okay. Let's uh, hear a third. Black beauty. Okay. And uh, oh. horse. Yeah. See, I got this. Work, work for the win. <laughs> nice job. The Arabian mare and another horse entered in the contest. This latter, a lean, rangy bay, were already in the stable. The Arabian was already bedded down, but there was a wheeze in the mare's breathing that Jones noticed as soon as they entered the building. She's all in, he said, indicating the Arabian stall. She'll be lucky if she can be even able to get to her feet by morning. Sounds as if she may be windbroken. Well, that does sound better than the other way around. <laughs> Dylan replied, I suppose her rider crowded her all the way up from Salt Lake, and she went to pieces in the mountains. This big bay seems to be all right. He always is at the start of a race, Jones made answer. That's Charlie Montauk's Pathfinder. And he'd be a great horse if he could only keep the pace he sets at the start. Wow, jeez. Put Pathfinder on blast, man. Could <laughs> They've got history. Just, just, just hold on. I guess. Implied beef. <laughs> I rode him two stretches in a cross-country relay once, and he led the bunch the first day out. When I called him again on the way back, he played out after five miles, and I liked to never got to get to the next, and I liked to never got to the next change station. He isn't exactly a quitter, but he just can't stay. Love him and leave him. (laughs) He shouldn't give us too much trouble then. No, not him. There are some others in the race that may before we reach Cheyenne. I counted five horses before we left the lake that ought to be pretty strong contenders. 
course, I can only learn to count to five, so... <laughs> After making sure that both horses had been properly cared for, Dylan and Jones started to the hotel. As they crossed the street toward the building, a man called to Jones from a low-slung roadster drawn up at the hotel porch. What, no, what I, got do you think? I got nothing. <laughs> you just keep going. <laughs> oh, Jones. No. Uh, that's Buckley, the owner of Patsy, Jones said to Dylan as he checked his step. Come over and meet him if you want to. I thought Patsy was your own horse. No, but he will be if I win this race. I've been trying to get that little horse for two years, but Buckley wouldn't sell. I hate to see Buckley own him because he has no more sympathy for a horse than a car. Well, now, when you think about it, isn't a horse really just a meat car anyway? Particularly if it's a Bronco. He... (laughs) Just shut down the podcast now. Uh... He got his name on a contract to sell me, Patsy, for $3,000 before I agreed to ride for him. But I won't have the money to pay for him unless I get the winner's, the winning rider's purse. Thinking that Buckley must, might wish to discuss the race with his rider alone, Dylan entered the hotel and engaged his room. He had finished eating when Jones and Buckley came in and took a table. And calling for a second cup of coffee, Dylan lingered to study the owner of the Little Roan. Buckley was a man of the big-boned, muscular type. Okay, all right. Three paragraphs about horses' rippling muscles and satiny skin. This guy, big-boned. Muscular. Even from a distance, it was evident that he possessed a dominant personality. He wore high-laced boots, and his shirt was open at the throat, exposing a thick neck that indicated bull strength. Dylan knew men as well as horses, and his impression was that Buckley was a brute with plenty of power to back his brutality. There had been a sort of unwritten understanding that the horses were to travel from sunup to sundown, provided they were able. Yeah, you gotta be in before horse curfew. After another visit to the stable, in which he found Sagamore peacefully munching hay, Dylan left a call for five o'clock and went to his room. He smoked a last cigar, and then turned in for the night. Dylan's first move the next morning was to order his own breakfast prepared while he went to the stable to feed his horse. Sagamore greeted him with a snort and stood rubbing his velvety nose against Dylan's shoulders as the man examined his hoofs and legs. Mm. Yes, no shave stubble, good. As he left the stable, Dylan glanced into the stall occupied by Patsy and discovered that the little horse had already left. He was wondering at Jones's judgment starting so early as he went in for breakfast, but a note given him by the night clerk explained. It read, Sorry we can't ride together, but it's like I thought. Buckley has staked all he owns on this race, so he's making me hit the trail at three o'clock. It's tough on Patsy, but he's a game little devil. I'll see you in Cheyenne anyway. Jones. P.S. I made you this mixtape. <laughs> And what would be on that mixtape, Alan? Um, home, home on the range. Home um, on the range. Uh-huh. I'm a, um, <clears throat> the theme from uh, from Young Guns, of course. Uh, rawhide. There we and, go. Um. Uh. Where have oh, all 18- the cowboys gone? <laughs> 
<laughs> By the time Dylan was ready to leave Sound City, all the horses except the Arabian had left the stable. Jones had been right in his prediction, and a veterinary had been called to care for the mare. If the grueling climb of the day before had injured Sagamore, it was not apparent from the spirit he displayed as they started. For the first few miles, the highway dropped steeply down toward the plains of Wyoming. Dylan was forced to ride carefully. By nine o'clock, he was clear of the foothills and following a road that resembled a city boulevard. Yeah, it was nothing but Duane Reeds and food trucks as far as the eye could see. <laughs> Sagamore wanted to run, but Dylan held him at a steady gallop. In time, they passed several other horses in the Utah-Wyoming state line, marked by stone ruin that had once been a cavalry post. It still lacked an hour of noon when Sagamore's hoofbeats sounded on the main thoroughfare of Elliston. Even though Dylan learned there were seven riders ahead, most of whom had only stopped in the town to feed and water their horses, he lingered an hour. The rest enabled Sagamore to start the long 50-mile run to Fort Custer with renewed strength. Once out of the town... Dylan let the big horse show a bit more speed. Oh, you know, when they said that this race was the longest and greatest endurance race, I guess they just naturally perked up on the greatest part, but they really focus on the longest part. Um, why don't you say we take a, a little break here, Rob? All right, that sounds good. Let's let these old workhorses rest their rest their hooves. These hooves are barking. Oh, yeah, so are my guns. You know, I'm working as a cowpoke all day. My yeah. crow's feet are my crow's feet are hurting. My my legs are hurting. My Your crow's feet are hurting. That's a rough day. <laughs> it's sunny. It is sunny. It is sunny out here. So, any predictions for the rest of the race? Um, let's say they pass a number of other horses who do not matter at all in the uh, grand scope of the story. That's uh, good. I, I think they're also going to pass through a number of towns that uh, really could have been interchangeable with anything else. Right. And barely described. Yeah. <laughs> and a ranch. Just a ranch. Do you think the ranchers know that the horses are stopping by? Or it's like, <laughs> hey... Yeah, they're By just the way, we're, out. Yeah, we're yeah. part of a big fun run. Come on. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess don't. No, please don't poop in my front yard. Well, okay. Here's some Gatorade. All right, guys. You can come in. We'll take care of your horses. But nobody even look at one of my three attractive daughters. Oh, dear. Oh, you must be tired from your long journey. Now you look talking to one of my daughters. Get the whip. <laughs> Oh, it's, uh, yeah, we, we, uh, this is a good rest because we need to pace ourselves as well. We got a lot more horsing to go. Okay. Well, let's, let's get back to the horse race before it passes us by. I hope. Twenty miles from Elliston, Sagamore overtook a little gray mare that had pushed on through Sound City the night before and spent the night at her ranch. The mare was running easily, apparently in good condition to finish the race, 
but her pace was hardly as fast as Sagamore's, and the big black gradually drew away from her. It was still daylight when Dylan rode into Fort Custer, yet he turned in at the town's most inviting livery, sta- livery stable. <laughs> well, I, I don't know what that could possibly mean. Like, it smells like fresh-baked cookies instead of horse crap. I mean, it, it's a stable. Oh, there's Ooh. big neon signs and arrows pointed down to the door, and it's like says, hey. Hey, hey, hey. It's called Horsey and Oats. The proprietor, a chunky little man who seemed rather unwilling to leave his chair at the door to accommodate a patron, appeared surprised that Dylan intended to stop for the night. There's six riders ahead of you, he stated. They're all six- pushing them. Oh, okay, so hold oh, on. Sorry. Six riders. Now, why does that make me think of Joey Lawrence? Why does that make me think of Joey Lawrence? I'm going to say six riders. Now, why does that make me think of Joey Lawrence? So, six riders. Let's, let's, uh, let's push on. They're all pushing on to Flagler's Ranch for the night. It's only about 18 miles, and this horsey yarn looks like he could make it for a night. He probably could, but I don't want to crowd him too fast. He's traveling fast enough to win the way he's going, and I want him to have plenty of strength left when we reach Laramie. Half reluctantly, the man arose and showed Dylan to a stall. While arranging it for his horse, the rider asked, What horse was leading when they came through here? Four of them together. A big bay they call Pathfinder, a cavalry runner from Fort Lincoln, an iron gray mare from somewhere in Utah, and Laramie Jones on a little roan. That's all the excitement of a quarter-mile race announced over the pace of five days. <laughs> so, Jones is up with the leaders, Dylan remarked, his tone showing that he was pleased. How's that little horse holding out? Fine. I figured him about the freshest of the lot when I looked him over. Laramie sure knows how to handle a horse. Dylan agreed to that readily enough, then inquired the best place to stop for the night. A restaurant up the street kept a few furnished rooms upstairs, and after glancing over the place, Dylan decided to remain there overnight. Fort Custer is one of the most historic spots in Wyoming, and when he had eaten a hearty meal in the restaurant, Dylan took a walk through the little town. The people, for the most part, are true Westerners, in their manners and dress. Uh, headdresses, do you mean? Typical of the cattle country in which they live. Dylan found most of them keenly interested in the great race. The proprietor of a cigar store pointed out the ruins of the barracks that had once sheltered troopers when they were not engaged in waging war against the hostile Utes in Cheyenne. (laughs) Utes. Man, that cousin Vinny, such a (laughs) cut-up. By the time Dylan had looked at the the ruins over, it was growing dark. So... (laughs) This, so, is it the horse race? The slow horse race wasn't mm-hmm. exciting enough. We're now watching him sightsee. Yes. Um, <laughs> and it is a fascinating town. This is really what passed for entertainment in 1922. That's why they wrote a story about it. Riding all day on horseback, even with a horse that rides easily, is tiresome. And so is reading a story about it. <laughs> Dylan had no difficulty in falling asleep almost as soon as he touched the bed. He woke at four o'clock, and by the time the sun rose, on was on his way. 
Two other horses had reached the fort during the night, but neither animal had rested sufficiently to start early that morning. Oh yeah, Hooflag's a killer, man. Dylan walked Sagamore the first mile, on the chance that his leg muscles might have become stiffened a bit from the hard ride of the day before. The horse seemed livelier than usual, pulling at the bit to be allowed to gallop. So once satisfied of his condition, Dylan let him run. The long stride of the stallion, even while held back, while had been held back a trifle, clipped off the miles. Before reaching Stranger... Wait, okay, that's not a real town. <laughs> the big horse passed the cavalry runner. A, a, a fine, well-trained animal, and later caught up with the iron gray mare. Oh, well, she ain't what she used to be. <laughs> The two riders stabled their horses at the same place and went to a hotel together for lunch. At the hotel, they learned that Pathfinder and the little roan, still holding their fast pace, had passed through the town two hours earlier. Pathfinder's showing better than I expected, the other rider said to Dylan. I had heard that he wasn't good for more than one day's running at fast speed, but he must be gamer than I thought. How about Jones's horse? Game to the core, was a quick reply. Endurance isn't so remarkable in a good Mustang because most of them have it. But that little devil has speed and staying power too. I've seen him race before, so I know what he can do. The gray mare had shown plenty of speed while coming into Stranger, so Dylan made no objection to taking the road with her. After lunch, they could have more speed from Sagamore had he wished to push the big horse. But the mare stuck to the pace so gamely that he realized that both horses could easily reach rock cliffs before night. I gotta say, this reads less like a race and more like a mommy blog about horse playdates. <laughs> Six places to take your horse in Utah. In the late afternoon, they rode into White River, stopping only to allow their horses to drink. It was twilight when they reached Rock Cliffs, where they intended to remain overnight. They learned that the two horses ahead of them had pushed on toward Red Bluffs, 25 miles farther east. The rider of the gray, by one of those tricks of fate, was the big victim of a bad attack of indigestion during the night, though Dylan did not learn of this until the next morning. A physician had already been called for, so, after wishing his late, com his late companion a speedy recovery... <laughs> Best of luck with the runs! <laughs> Dylan saddled Sagamore and began the day's ride. He knew that for the remainder of the race, every mile and minute might count. Because it was half over. Playoff start now, Rob. <laughs> it was... <laughs> My weekend like... starts on Wednesday. Uh, <laughs> it was still early morning when they reached the little town of Red Bluffs and learned that Patsy and Pathfinder had started before daylight. From this point, the highway follows the railroad for some distance, passing through little towns every eight or ten miles. Yeah. You gotta watch out for those small town speed traps if you've got an out of state horse license. They, I they they'd like to target you. I just can't wait to hear the name of every single one of these towns. Okay, well get on it. In most of the towns, the few inhabitants turned out to glimpse the great black horse that, if he stopped at all, seemed to barely wet his muzzle at a watering trough. At tabletop where there were is it the uh, where Dylan stopped for lunch? The only talk of the race seemed to concern that little roan horse. The mention of only one horse puzzled him. 
but he found the answer to that later in the afternoon. An hour after leaving Tabletop, he overtook Pathfinder. And after talking a few minutes with the other rider... Oh, yeah. You feeling extreme testicular discomfort from all this (laughs) riding? Yep, me too. (laughs) He forged ahead. Pathfinder, true to form, had finally weakened from the terrific pace set by Jones and his little Mustang. It was almost twilight, and both horse and rider were growing tired when they reached the town of Wanderer. Nope, nope, no, see, <laughs> these are not real towns. They're just like sing- single-down song titles and <laughs> geographic features. Coming up, Loader and, and? Rememberer. <laughs> okay. Uh, Dylan resolved to push a bit further. Crested Ridge was only 12 miles away. But darkness had settled over the country when Sagamore trotted into the place, and Dylan learned the same disappointing news. Laramie Jones had passed through 30 minutes before without stopping. I do love Laramie Jones. Horsey? I'm taking a horsey. <laughs> uh, packing my saddlebags. Good. <laughs> um, Dylan had hoped to overtake Jones at the place, yet the news increased his admiration for the little roan horse. Dylan was back in the saddle by sunup the next morning, galloping on toward Rawlins, when he reached slightly before noon. After a brief stop, he swung back to the road. Two hours later, he rode through Fort Settler and sent Sagamore pounding across a long bridge that spans Platte River. Ahead of him loomed the Medicine Bow Ridge, and the road began to ascend a short distance from the river. In spite of the grade, he allowed Sagamore to travel as fast as he wished, reasoning that for the remainder of the trip, the horse could be depended upon to do his utmost. Uh, Yeah, you've been doing all the hard work. Why don't you let the horse do some of it for a change? (laughs) It was dark before he rounded a turn in the mountains and struck the comparatively smooth road that swings southward towards the town of Elk Mountain. See, now you've had like 10 towns in the last paragraph. This is unbelievable. I got Platte River, Medicine Bow, Elk Mountain... Skibbity-doo. The sandy highway, glistening like a wide white ribbon before him, was a temptation for more speed. Yet when Sagamore voluntarily eased down a bit, Dylan did not crowd him. He did not crowd, nor did he throw bows. (laughs) He knew that in spite of the horse's splendid heart and strength, the five days race was beginning to show its effects. A steady gallop enables a horse to cover much ground, however, and Sagamore loped steadily. Just as Dylan caught his first glimpse of the lights of Elk Mountain, the lights of Elk Mountain, he heard the rat-a-tat-tat of hoofs on the yes. road ahead. The unmistakable scat-man skiddly-wow-zatarans horses' hooves. And Sagamore quickened his stride. A mile slipped by before the stallion overtook the other horse, and a wave of gladness swept over Dylan as he recognized Jones and Patsy. You running son of a gun, he greeted in the manner that Jones liked best. Yeah, folksy and aggressive, with no swears. (laughs) I'd begun to doubt that I was ever going to catch you. How the deuce did you manage to hold that little horse up? Both horses, as if understanding the friendship of their riders, had slowed to a walk, and neither man urged them faster. It's Patsy that's holding me up, Jones laughed. I told you he was dead game, but I'm leery about starting him as early as Buckley wants me to to each morning. A horse is only capable of doing so much, 
Buckley is the kind of owner that every rider hates. Yeah, he's the Donald Sterling of the horse world. I, uh, what? I, I got another related joke. It's not, it's not fully oh, formed, but it's oh, like please. something, something, L.A. Cloppers. <laughs> all, he's, all he's thinking about is the money he's gone, got bet on this race. What became of him after we left Sound City? Oh, he's trailing along in that big car of his, expecting this horse to make the same time. He'll be waiting for us in Oak Mountain, and I can imagine his feelings when he sees that you you finally caught up with me. That prediction was true, and Buckley appeared at the livery stable while both men were unsaddling. All right, this whole thing's been unsaddling. <laughs> what? What's the matter, he demanded of Jones. They tell me how you walked your horse into town just now. I did. Dylan here overtook me a few miles out, and we let our horses take their own time coming in. A collusion. (laughs) Well, that's a damn fine way to run a horse race, Buckley snapped, favoring Dylan with a glare in the light of the stable lanterns. You'll do better to ride alone, I'm thinking. I'm thinking the same thing, Jones replied, evidently striving to control his temper. I'm getting all the speed out of that horse he has, but you can't expect him to keep up with the car. No, but I do expect him to get into Cheyenne first, and he's not going to do that and walk. Or trot, or canter, or whatever horses do. I don't know what horses do. I pay you to know what horses do. Jones did not bother to reply, and a moment later Buckley left the stable. They'd arrived in Elk Mountain about 8 o'clock, so in spite of the fact that the race was nearing its close, oh, thank God, uh, Dylan <laughs> reasoned that he dared not start Sagamore earlier than 4 the next morning. It still lacked a few minutes of that time when he came to the stall and made a discovery that left him dumbfounded. The night before, he had carefully measured Sagamore's feet, because a racing horse must be carefully fed. Yet the feed box in the stall was more than half filled with oats, and a sack of grain lay near me, lay near the manger. What? It's my cheat day. <laughs> Dylan leaped into this into the state into this uh, he leaped there. He leaped into the stall, suddenly maddened because of the trick that had been worked on him. He aroused Sagamore. Oh. <clears throat> Say no more. And the horse, after a moment, got to his feet. The animal had eaten his fill, but luckily had not foundered. Dylan hurried to the office stable and aroused the nightman. Okay, now they're just fucking with us. <laughs> who directed him to the home of the nearest veterinary. When the man arrived at the stable, Dylan had left the stallion outside and was walking him in the street. Well, he doesn't seem to be in any danger, the veterinary said after an examination. But he must have a stomach of iron. You can't ride him faster than a walk before noon. And don't feed him after midnight. But he'll be all right then. After he does his PM. Dylan handed the veterinary a bill and turned to the stableman. Who was in the stable after I left it last night? No, nobody until two o'clock this morning when they started that little roan. After the horse left, that big man who owns him came back to the stall for something that he had left. And I heard his car start soon as he went outside. Dylan said nothing. It wasn't necessary, though he received some satisfaction from knowing that Jones had not been guilty of the trick. He paid the stableman to walk Sagamore while he went to a nearby restaurant for a cup of coffee. 
and then rode slowly out of town. In his heart was a great bitterness against Buckley for his attempt to put a rival horse out of the race by such foul means. I, you know, I don't know. That's kind of a, kind of the lovable trick that might be undertaken by freshmen from a rival horse college. Maybe you'd like to read my spec script. <laughs> hey, what, what is you, that? What's it about? It's called horseplay. <laughs> It was probable that it would cost Sagamore the race, because Patsy was two hours ahead, while the big horse, with speed and endurance to win the race by hours, was forced to walk. Still, Dylan valued the great stallion more than the purse, and the honor of winning, so in spite of his feelings, he obeyed the veterinary's orders. This was clearly before the word veterinarian was invented. Uh, By noon, the horse had traveled only 30 miles, but he was gradually recovering from the effects of his feast. Dylan gave him a tried galloping then, and when he seemed all right, kept him at it, though he was careful not to let him get too warm. After a time, he reached a small stream, where he allowed the horse to drink sparingly, then continued on his way. Hey, water weight is still weight. You you gotta sweat it out, like Martin Lawrence. Wait, he's not dead. (laughs) Wait, what? Wait, he's not dead. I'm, I was just saying, Martin Lawrence is not dead. No, he's sitting by the phone waiting for Michael Bay to call about Bad Boys 3. <laughs> oh, can you can you wait? I know. During the long afternoon, when he realized the horse was out of danger, Dylan turned Sagamore loose, enjoying the thrill that comes from hearing the wind sing past his ears. It almost seemed that Sagamore was aware of his blunder and was making every effort to recover lost time. Yet they were still 30 miles from Laramie when Dylan stopped at a roadside ranch for the night. Sagamore greeted his master with a snort the next morning. You're going to wear that? (laughs) Which meant that he was ready and willing to start. It's a good thing you do feel good, old top, Dylan said to the horse, stroking the shiny mane as he fed him. We've got some job ahead of us to ever catch that little horse. He had traveled a mile when the sun began tinting the eastern sky with morning, and the horse was running with ease. At twenty minutes after nine, he galloped into Laramie, Jones's hometown, and paused only long enough for water for himself and his horse. And hundreds of persons were watching the results of the race, and a great (laughs) crowd gathered about the horse when he stopped. Someone handed Dylan a morning paper, and he was again in the saddle before he noticed the headline. It read, The Little Horse Wins. Then followed a statement in smaller type that Jones had passed Laramie 30 miles ahead of his nearest competitor and would reach Cheyenne that afternoon. Also, Dewey defeats Truman. Polls close this afternoon. (laughs) Dylan tossed the paper away without reading the story and gave his attention to riding. Ten minutes was all that Dylan took for lunch feeding Sagamore beside a watering trough while he munched a sandwich. He let the horse drink rather freely. <laughs> Shots all around! Then swung back in the saddle. Somewhat elated at the news that Jones was less than an hour away ahead. Cheyenne was less than 30 miles away, yet Dylan was doubtful of overtaking the little horse. Still, he reasoned that Sagamore was probably traveling twice as fast as Patsy, and he urged the animal forward at racing speed. Twenty miles from the Wyoming capital, Dylan's heart leaped as he sighted a horse and rider on the road ahead. Shane? Aww. When Sagamore overtook them, it proved to be a cowboy on his way into town. 
But it wasn't Shane. Unknown. Perhaps an hour later, he met an auto, and the driver shouted that the leading horse was just ahead. Get off the road, man. For cars. <laughs> Get a horse. Oh, wait. As mile after mile flitted by without him seeing anything of Jones, he began to wonder if the driver could have been mistaken. Then, just as he sighted the smoke of Cheyenne, he recognized the little roan just topping a slight hill. Patsy was running, though it seemed to Dylan that it took a long, long time for him to cross the hill. Jones was miles ahead, however, and Dylan leaned over the big stallion's neck, talking to him as he sent him forward at whirlwind speed, wondering if he could hold that pace after such a heartbreaking endurance test. Sagamore did, and the sight that Cheyenne witnessed will never be forgotten by those who saw it. For the good old days before they invented the internet and television and fun. Hey guys, I saw a horse. Yeah, we we see them every day. We're in the old times. The news that the racers were coming had long since been telephoned ahead, and the streets were lined with people. (laughs) Hey Joe, have you heard the news? You know how you were just going to stand in the street because you had nothing better to do anyways? Well... Now you've got just slightly better than nothing to do. The governor of Wyoming, a good sportsman himself, stood in the rear seat of his car and cheered when Patsy, game to the last but overtaxed from lack of rest, staggered into the long streets that led to the capital. The little roan went to his knees, then regained his feet and came forward. Oh, man, you don't showboat before you get in the end zone. The cheers that greeted the little beast must have warmed any red-blooded man's heart. Yet they suddenly stilled, and then broke out anew. Over the hill at the outskirts of the city charged a great black horse, running with the speed of his thoroughbred sire as his flaring mane whipped the face of his rider. Run! Run like the wind! (laughs) The little cow horse was six blocks from the capital when the racing stallion flashed past. Jones looked up and smiled. And somehow, that smile hurt Dylan. Dylan had delivered his letter and was receiving the congratulations of the governor when a shout down the street drew his attention. Instantly, he whirled Sagamore and raced down the street. He had recognized a low-slung roadster in the street and a big man who had literally jerked Jones from the saddle of his horse. Whether Buckley struck the man or not, Dylan wasn't sure, but he did see something that was even worse. Jones had been flung to the ground, and as Buckley caught the bridle reins of the little horse, he swung a vicious kick to the animal's stomach. Jeez, this is this is not the man on horse action I was expecting from the opening in the story. Ordinarily, Dylan was inclined to reason things out, but he didn't then. As Sagamore answered the tug of the reins, Dylan leaped from the saddle onto Buckley's shoulder, smashing his right fist into the big man's face as he landed on his feet. Buckley staggered back and Dylan closed in, sending two blows to the stomach that dropped the brutal owner to the pavement. Hats were thrown into the air and hundreds cheered themselves hoarse. Cheered themselves hoarse. What? I mean, he just beat up a random guy. It's not exactly VE day. <laughs> this is a, it's a small town. Okay. Uh, yet Dylan scarcely heard all of that. He stepped back and assisted Jones to his feet, then on sudden impulse jerked a folded checkbook from a shirt pocket and leaned against Sagamore as he wrote. The check was for $3,000, payable to bearer, and Dylan showed it to Jones before he turned to Buckley. 
That's what Jones was to pay you for Patsy, and you just sold him that horse, Dylan said quietly. Fast transaction, A++++. Buckley hesitated an instant, then climbed to his feet and walked groggily to his car. As he drove away from the jeering crowd, Dylan turned to Jones, and even the governor joined in the cheering as they walked down the street leading their horses, a great black stallion, and a worn-out little roan. The end. Oh, very nice. Let's take this to the wrap-up. Well, that was rousing. You know, I, I I paid for my whole seat, but I only needed the edge. That was uh, <laughs> that was really moments of fun. <laughs> I think they really thought that I wanted in depth uh, details about the feeding and watering of horses um, to take me out of my day to day life of feeding and watering horses. <laughs> So it's a primary reader of this. People were like, well, that's just like my life. Stars, they're just like me. <laughs> yeah. Well, there, is... there was a lot of uh, who wore it better uh, among the horses in this. Uh, this is, um, it's, it's funny because this is like the same time Conan books were being written and H.P. Lovecraft was getting started and. No, no, people didn't want to read that fun stuff. They wanted to read slow, plotting stories about horse races that went on forever. Well, I'm sure there was a uh, moral in there somewhere, Rob. What do you think the moral of the story is? Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, the the moral of the story is that if you have the biggest, uh, strongest, fastest horse, you really don't need to worry about things too much. You're going to end up winning. See, I think it's, it's close, but the... The force, the fastest horse is going to be the one where he has a rider who really understands him, but he's still going to be a fucking slow horse. <laughs> well, that's an important lesson, I think, for all of us. Any final uh, thoughts, Alan? Um, I don't. Uh, I, I, I'm I'm going to visit the West sometime. And um, I'm I'm gonna write an in-depth journal where I only mention the town names. I, I think that sounds pretty good. Uh, well, I am I am not going to visit the West. Um, I'm, but I am gonna listen to Beer for My Horses right now. Okay. Well, that about wraps it up for this week's episode. Um, I hope everybody had some fun learning about the great Cayuse horses and the Birberder and the Rather So tune in next week for another exciting Interrupted. Well, what, you know, if they had the name of Stranger, why didn't they just say like like the Billy Joel song and then the Wanderer? Hell. Is- <laughs>